Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and what I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community, and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. But before I get started, I want to give a shout out to Mudgear, makers of the best training and racing gear in OCR. Mudgear was the first compression gear built tough enough to help you conquer obstacles. When you race this season, look on the podium. You'll see top pros wearing Mudgear. Built tougher for OCR and made in the USA. Nothing else compares on the course. Check it out at mudgear.com and use my promo code DHP for a 10% discount off your order. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Okay, good Tuesday morning to you here in Southern California. Good day to everyone else around the world that's taken the time to listen to me rant and totally screw up Zoe's last name. <laughs> and, uh, you, know, I, you know, full disclosure, I learned how to say her last name and I forgot it. Which I knew you would. <laughs> Yeah. Well, which I knew I would too. You know, it's not that simple. I'd have to move to Poland for it to become commonplace, I, I think. Right? But that's, but that's the thing too. Like it is Polish, but I don't even think that I pronounce it correctly. Wait, wait a minute. Like I, Are we getting... I'm not going to pronounce it. I'm just saying that like how, how a Polish person, I ask them to say it, like they just have... I don't know. It sounds better when they say it versus when it I say it. It sounds Polish when they say it. <laughs> it sounds Polish, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just totally botch it. It's like people trying to say my name, and it's Spanish, right? Yeah. It's it rolls off my tongue perfectly. It's Diaz, right? And yeah. you you go to the Midwest and they call you Diaz or some stupid thing like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I grew up being a Diaz. A Diaz. Yeah, because I grew up in Michigan, you know, and everybody there is like, yeah, Diaz. <laughs> it's terrible but you know it's it is hard it's intimidating so for the listeners if you haven't seen my last name i'm going to spell it for you and then i'm just going to kind of give you an idea as to why rich has such a problem uh trying to pronounce it <laughs> so it is s z c z e p a n e K. Now, after hearing all of those letters, I want you to try to think in your head how to how to pronounce that. <laughs> Zespank me. Oh gosh, that just sounded dirty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. All right, so uh, we we've gone through the whole how I butcher your name, the fact that you're Polish, the fact <laughs> that my Cuban name is butchered in Michigan. Let's talk about something that's a little bit more fruitful for the audience. All right. Sounds good. What do you think? Well, I know that you're pretty much your thing is teaching people how to land on their forefoot. Now, if they're a heel striker and this is something new for them, they might experience some new problems, new issues, new pains. So... I was hoping that you can kind of talk about the transitional period. Excellent. Excellent. Well, first of all, the idea of me teaching people to land on their forefoot, that is a natural inclination. If you're running, the natural thing that your body was designed to do, wants to do, is to land first on the front of your foot. Some people get it confused. They refer to midfoot. In actuality, it should be forefoot. And there are a chain of events that occur when you make good ground contact from the forefoot right on up through the kinetic chain, from your, your forefoot to your heel, to your ankle, to your knee, to your hip, and so on and so forth. There's a, there's a sequence of events that occurs that anatomically is correct. 
it is the body's best defense against ground contact, or I guess the better term would be ensuing impact forces from the ground. And I teach people how to get back to the natural aspect of running. I try to help people to understand how to run properly. And the reason that this is even a thing is because once upon a time, the shoe industry got a little goofy and they promoted the idea of landing on the heel first, which is actually counterproductive. It's damaging to the body to land on your heel first. But what they thought would be the thing to do is to target the heel and put a pad underneath your heel to buffer the impact force. And in my book that I wrote some years ago, quite a few years ago at this point now, it's ridiculous to think about it. It's been about nine years ago I wrote this book. And in the book I talked about, actually not talked about, but threw somebody under the bus. And I wasn't the first to do it. And this someone was Bill Bowerman, who was one of the principals at Nike. He came up with the concept of this heavy-heeled sole. And his theory was to get a bigger stride, reaching out ahead of ourselves, we might land on the heel first. And with this special shoe he created, you'd mitigate the impact forces with that pad. And since, long since, he determined that that was probably a bad idea. But the cat was out of the bag and the shoe industry went wild and everybody made scads and scads. and I mean, crazy amounts of money, crazy, crazy amounts of money in the shoe industry from this type of design. And so let's just say that I scream fire. Everybody starts running out of the building and they go, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. No, 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 no. So, no, I was only kidding. But everybody's already outside, right? It's kind of like what happened. It was too late. The cat was out of the bag. Everybody's, everybody's making money. So whether you're right or wrong is no longer important. The fact of the matter is we're in the business to make money. Now we're making lots of money, so on and so forth. Now, getting back to the way to land. If you're not going to land on your heel first, then there's really no good reason to have that big cushion beneath your heel because you're not landing there. All right? Uh, let me take it a step further. I work with kids that are running cross country and running track. Had a kid come to see me the other day. I'm working with him. Pretty good runner, cross-country runner. And he brought with him his racing flats. Now think of this, right? This is not new. This is not a new concept, a racing flat. So somewhere along the way, somebody figured out that, well, if you're going to race, you need to have a very light and flat shoe to run in because this will provide you with your greatest performance. But during training, what they would recommend to you is to put this big, soft, cushy heel under your shoe and land on that first. I've seen kids at the track with spikes. When they're running, they're landing on their heel because that's the way they train. The shoe design was to land on the forefoot and get access to the spikes in the front of the shoe to get traction, to get good force production off the ground, very positive force production off the ground, to propel them forward. These kids are landing on their heel, not getting access to the spikes whatsoever. And worse, there's no protection under the heel anymore because yeah. it's a racing flat. So this is kind of like the, the wide angle view of the concept that I'm trying to get across here. But think about it from a shallower view. People that are racing OCR, for example, the shoes they use to race in are for the most part flat shoes. I mean, I'm looking at most of the designs for, for running in the mud and running over trail and climbing over obstacles and the design concepts are very near the ground. Mm -hmm. But while they're training, they might be racing or training in a shoe that has a very pronounced heel. So work with me here for a second. Just try to imagine if you stood up, are you like in a little office or where are you sitting right now? 
Uh, yeah, I'm sitting in my makeshift office. <laughs> okay, makeshift office. Are there any books there? Uh, not within reaching distance right now. I don't want you to reach. I just want you to conceptualize. I want other people to think about what we're talking about. All right. So I want you to try to imagine if you were to grab a book with the binding of the book, uh, say, an inch and a half tall. Okay. And then I want you to, with your bare foot, place your heel on the binding of that book and stand okay. up. So what you've just done is you've altered your posture because your heel is raised up onto this ledge. Your posture has to alter because you'll be tipping forward. And in order to keep balance, you will draw your torso backwards, right? Mm -hmm. So now there's actually a hot spot in your low back. There's basically a pinch point in your lower back. And your point of balance now is ahead of you rather than beneath you. So if you stepped off the book and now are barefoot on the ground, your hip will actually shift and go into a neutral state, unless you're mm -hmm. predisposed to having hyperlordosis. Assuming that your, your posture for the most part is normal, you would settle back into an, a natural posture and your balance point would be right beneath you. Mm -hmm. All right? So this is the place we want to start from. And incidentally, if I took you to the beach, if I took 50 of the people listening to this right now, forget the beach. I just took them to a um, AstroTurf field. I say AstroTurf because I know that that artificial environment that is designed to run on is going to be free of any debris to step on or hurt yourself with. And I said, okay, everybody, I just want you to run from one goalpost to the next. For the most part, about 99% of those people would land and run off of their forefoot without any instruction. Given the opportunity to run naturally, this is what we would choose to do. Inherently, we would run this way. Oh, so you're saying if they're running barefoot... Yes. Or are you saying with, okay, barefoot. If okay. they were to run barefoot, because remember I took you off the ledge, you don't have any shoes on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, if you're running barefoot across that field, you're going to run off your forefoot. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, if I put your shoes back on you and you ran across that field, you're probably going to land on your heel if that was your nature. It's just a really weird dynamic. But what happens is we've taught ourselves to make the incorrect decision in the way we approach our running. And for the most part, it's because shoes have altered the way we move for the longest time. So the reason I wanted to do this to begin with is because I hear people bantering back and forth often about what the transition should look like. I'm in a, okay, let me just kind of differentiate the, the concepts of stack height which is when the entire shoe is elevated off the ground. Mm -hmm. So the forefoot and the heel is raised up. That's stack height. And then there's the, the fore-aft differential. So if you're like, let's just say uh, 20 millimeters off the ground in the front of the shoe and you're 28 millimeters to the rear, the differential is about 8 millimeters, right? Mm -hmm. So you have an 8 mil. Uh, drop, they refer to it as. So from the heel to the forefoot, you're dropping. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of the traditional running shoes that people wear, you know, the cookie cutter shoe design, ranges from about 8 to as much as 14 mil drop. So the inclination from the heel to the forefoot is unique to the shoe design. Yeah. But let's just say the shoe that you're accustomed to running in has a 14 mil drop. And this is what you've been running in and you've been landing on your heels and you've been hoping to take advantage of the cushion that, that is pronounced on the heel to land on. And everything is going fairly well. Every now and then you run into an injury. Usually injury occurs relative to the volume you've taken on. Most people, I discuss this with them often, 
is that they know if they're a fairly seasoned runner, they know what their break point is. They know the point in the road where things start to go wrong. For some people, it could be 20 miles. For some people, it could be 40 miles. But you're going to find that the more corruption that exists in the way you run, the more likely you are to injure yourself. So what do I mean by that? If you're altering your natural functionality to greater degree, then you're much more suspect to have things go wrong. That's just logical, right? Mm -hmm. With me? Yeah. So, you know, your, your, your heel's elevated. Your posture is altered. Your balance point is ahead of you, which forces you to heel strike and or overstride, which imposes a braking force because your momentum is you're moving forward. You're throwing yourself up in the air. You're sticking your foot out ahead of your body. You're landing on your heel first or even your forefoot for that matter. But you're braking. Mm-hmm. Half of that is attributed to your altered posture on the shoe. Okay? So from a logical perspective, for no other reason but just to kind of get people to understand that when you put a shoe on, regardless of the design of the shoe, you are altering your natural functionality. If you're wearing a minimal shoe, so you don't have a big heel, you're not having this big stack height, you're not laying on a cushion, you don't have some arch support, you don't have all these other fangled things that are typically uh, the potpourri of things that go off in these shoes, you're just in a re really minimal shoe, guess what? You're still altered because you're not deriving the full benefits of the mechanoreceptors, these mechanisms in your feet that communicate with your central nervous system to tell you how to contract when you make ground contact. You're being altered. The best thing you could do is be barefoot to, to arrive at full compliance so the body is in tune with the earth. Now, the unfortunate end is for us is that because our environment is also altered, we've created pavement, we've created concrete, we break glass, we have nails, all these alterations to the natural planet that we've created are impositions to our ability to take advantage of our natural function. Am I going crazy now? A little bit? No, I'm just, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, oh man, if I were to do an OCR course barefoot, <laughs> I think it would be amazing. <laughs> I would, I, you know what? I think it would be amazing. Here's the problem. And incidentally, I think I've seen people do this. But here's the problem is that we are babes in the wood for the most part. Our culture, our society, the way we live, the things we do are making us soft. We are, by the way, there's a guy named... Erwin LaCour. I did an interview with him. I don't even know how far back. Used to follow this guy. But Erwin LaCour said it best. He said, we are basically zoo animals because of the way we live in our society. We are, you, you take a wild animal and you put it in a cage and that's now their existence. This wild animal starts to lose it. Everything starts to fall off. Nothing... It just becomes tame, soft, and incapable of even caring for itself. You couldn't take a, a lion that's, that was born in a zoo and put it back in the wild and expect it to be capable of going out and hunting. It would probably starve, right? Yeah. Well, we're kind of like that because we wear shoes all day. I have people I know I've worked with that the only time they take the shoes off is when they get in the shower and get in their bed. Other than that, their feet are always trapped in a shoe. Okay? Now, try to imagine, I used this analogy before, try to imagine that you wrap your hands and, you know, make it comfortable, but just wrap your hands so that your fingers don't have a chance to splay out. So that your fingers are stressed to flex, to you know, plantar or dorsiflex your fingers. So that's up and down motion with your finger, or even ball up for that matter. So you've inhibited the normal function of your fingers. And just keep your hands wrapped like that when you wake up in the morning and keep them wrapped like that till you go to bed at night. 
And then go out and try to grab hold of something and see what you get. Because it's the same concept. We're taking people out of these protective mechanisms and they're trying to get back to natural function, but they're trying to rush the process. So you would think that I've lost track of my conversation, but I'm trying to rein it back. I'm trying to rein it back and I need I think I needed to build this case because we don't have the preparation that's necessary to effectively quickly make a transition to natural function because we're so far away from it. Let's just say, for example, that you have a 14 mil drop shoe. That's what you wear all the time. And then I take that away from you and I put you in a zero drop neutral shoe. And before that day that you took that new shoe, you're running 50 miles a week. And nothing has changed about you. We just changed your shoe. And you go out and try to run 50 miles in the week without the same format of shoe that you were running in to begin with. Things are going to go badly because you're heel is going to drop to the earth, if you're lucky, that eight mil that you lost from your shoe. Yeah, so I'm imagining calf pain, Achilles pain. Exactly. So what ends up happening is now you're stretching that whole calf complex, your Achilles, your plantar fascia is being stretched. All of that material on the back of your leg that didn't used to work now is activated in full force and it's going to get overloaded. And so you're pretty much suggesting that if you're normally running, you know, your volume on that 14, 8, 12, whatever millimeter drop shoe, and when you go down to a zero drop, you should not be running the same volume. It takes some time to work up to it. I'm saying that, but I'm saying other things as well. Yeah. Let's, let's say, for example, that you're not in that big of a differential. Let's say that you're at six and you go okay. to zero. That's still, that's... a it's a it's enough transition to cause disruption. There's only so much stretch reflex that you can expect to come from your calf Achilles and that connective tissue abruptly. So it takes a little time. Now, you and I were looking at this blog in where this fellow, I'm not even going to use his name or quote the blog, other than to suggest that Dr. Irene Davis of the Spalding National Running Center at Harvard Medical offered kind of a recommendation for transitioning. And I'm, I'm going to just kind of bullet point it here. She says that, first of all, what you want to do is walk for 30 minutes a day barefoot. And then after you've done that, you want to walk for nine minutes and jog for one minute and do that three times. And day three, you rest. Day four, you walk six minutes, jog for two minutes, times three. And then day five, it goes to seven minutes with three minutes worth of jogging. Then she rests the day, then backs down to six. So she's got this progression-regression process where you're collectively improving and regressing and improving the time you spend jogging. But it's important to note that she's referring to transitioning to be a barefoot runner. Now, where I draw the line on this is that I know, no one that I know that I've worked with is willing to put up with this. They're not going to reduce their volume to running a couple, three minutes every other day and feel like that's the path they want to follow. They're not going to do it. And I should also suggest that you should not have to do it. Now, if you're trying to adopt barefoot running on unnatural environments, meaning trying to teach yourself to run barefoot on concrete or pavement, absolutely you're going to have to take this path. Because if you don't, you will injure yourself because your bone structure, just the, the material in the bottom of your foot has to toughen up there's so many things that have to happen that are going to take time that is going to require that you are patient. Now, if you're going to try to transition from heel striking to forefoot and you really want it to go well and you're planning to wear shoes, now, mind you, the shoes are providing you with protection, protection from mm -hmm. the environment. 
which by the way is a double-edged sword because you're being protected okay so if you were to land on something that's a little foreign for example you you ran and you landed on a pebble yeah you got a little rubber beneath you in the in the in the pebble and odds are that's going to go okay but think of it like this you're also desensitizing the way you're moving because you're not getting full advantage of these mechanoreceptors I spoke of in your feet. So it gives you license, it gives you a little creative license to be just a little bit irresponsible. You're more responsible than you were if you had this big cushiony sole beneath your foot, or if your foot was altered in this heel that we spoke of. Mm -hmm. But at the same token, you're still at a bit of a disadvantage. So you're going to be a little bit less responsible than would be premium, but still we're going to have to protect our feet and I'm still on board with that. But the reason I even bring that up is because you could still make mistakes with the way you move. So yeah. there are people out there that think they are doing the right thing with the way they're landing on the ground and they're blowing it because the shoes minimal as they might be, are still providing enough creative license to allow you to make these mistakes. Where if you were barefoot, you would be far less likely to make those mistakes. Let me give you a really good example. I have a client in Germany, and I've been working with him for quite a while now. And he's been having just all sorts of problems. And by the way, he came to me because he was having these problems. And we tried pretty much everything. And one of the quick fixes that I have for people when they're having mechanical issues with the way they're running is I have them do hill repeats. I don't let them run on flat ground because running on flat ground requires too much attention to detail. Running up a hill, most people run off of their forefoot very nicely, less likely to make mistakes. Incidentally, people listening to this, if they've been having trouble with the way they're landing, having knee issues, whatever, hill repeats are the ticket. You're going to find... If you walk down the hill, run up the hill hard, run up the hill however you might like, odds are you won't have nearly as much trouble as you were having before because the environment just corrected you. But getting back to my friend in Germany, we finally came to the place where I said, look, here's what I want you to do. Three days a week, 30 minutes per application, I want you to run on a grassy field barefoot. Get a message from him the other day. It's been about two weeks now. He's blown away by the fact that he's no longer having any issues whatsoever with the way he's running. He is pain-free. And I'm telling you, this guy's been in and out of issues with his pain for probably eight months. In two weeks of running barefoot, he was capable of correcting the flaws he was making with the way he was running and came away with no longer having any pain. We've now got him back into running shoes. He sent me video for me to analyze the way he was running, and I could clearly see that he was presenting with some excessive pronation when he was landing. He was landing on his forefoot, but he was overstriding and reaching, and he had this excessive pronation that was laying down hard on his posterior tibial tendon. Mm -hmm. And it was invoking all sorts of plantar fasciitis and things like this he was dealing with. He was making a mistake. And he was not aware that he was making the mistake. I finally got to the root of it by getting the video and said, look, here's what you're doing. And I sent the video back and showed it to him and said, the fix that I have for you is to take your shoes off and run barefoot. What's really interesting about this is he's in Germany. So in the winter, guess what? You can't go outside and run. Yeah. Right? Because it's too cold and the snow and all this stuff, right? But so here we are, springtime. Things are kind of starting to get warmer. Things are getting in a better case. And sure enough, he's been out there killing it and everything's going very nicely. If someone is kind of in that same situation where it's winter time or they just they can't run outside, would you still suggest this on a treadmill, like running barefoot on a treadmill? You know, I didn't used to recommend it, but mm -hmm. I learned. Uh, I actually have a client. I'm going to credit him. He's probably going to listen to this. I got a client in Texas by the name of Benjamin Pena. Do you, do you know Ben? Yeah. All right. I have video. posted it on YouTube. Uh, I have video of Ben running on my treadmill barefoot at a six-minute mile pace. And I'll tell you the story. Here's another cat. You know, I mean, believe me, this is not my first rodeo. 
about a year went by with him plagued with issues. And he was that guy that did not back off of his running volume and made the transition off his heel onto his forefoot and was still making mistakes with the way he was running and injured himself. No matter what he did, it just didn't want to go away, and he was hard-headed, and he kept fighting through it, trying to work through it, kept messing him up. My application with him was to get him in a grassy field, have him run barefoot, let his body just correct. And it was going pretty well. I, I would, we're texting back and forth, we're having conversations on the phone, and he kept telling me that, you know, it doesn't hurt when I, I my first question is, does it hurt when you're running barefoot? No, I'm mm -hmm. fine. I'm fine barefoot, right? So the weather turns and it's too cold, too ugly out to run barefoot. He starts running barefoot on his treadmill. And what was interesting about this, he'd never told me that. And he called me, I don't know, it was several months later and wanted to come out and see me. And we scheduled a video analysis. He came out. And I was getting ready to put him on my treadmill. And he says, uh, ever since I started running barefoot, I'm bulletproof. I, I don't have any issues. I'm healthier than I've ever been. I'm stronger than I've ever been with my running. And uh, I just want you to get a look at it. I said, cool, let's get you on the treadmill. He says, do you mind if I take my shoes off? <laughs> I said, you're going to run on my treadmill barefoot? He said, I've been doing it for the last five months. And I said, well... You know, I'm going to probably have you run pretty fast. He said, it doesn't matter. So sure enough, I got him on the treadmill, and I had him run on the treadmill barefoot, took him up to about a six-minute mile pace, and he was fine. And, I mean, I am, like, lit up. I'm, like, videoing everything, right? I said, okay, let's get you going. Shoot the video from the front, from the side, from the back. Put your shoes on now. Let's try it with the shoes on. Let's see a comparative analysis of what it looks like when you're running with your shoes. See if the, the way you're running with your shoes is altered relative to the way you're running barefoot. We went through this whole tirade. But he basically corrected the way he was running. He reinforced proper running mechanics by doing this barefoot. And then when he races and does whatever he does, he races in shoes. He races in a zero-drop running shoe and has no problems whatsoever. Now, it would seem like the argument I'm trying to make, if you're going to transition to a zero-drop shoe, if you're going to transition from being a heel striker to forefoot, that you should run barefoot. And I guess to some degree I am saying that, but it's not the end of the day. I mean, you have to have an understanding of proper running mechanics. The biggest problem most people are facing is that they're not running properly to begin with. What they think mm -hmm. they're doing versus what they are actually doing is incorrect. And I've shown people this time and time again where they come into my lab and I go to video them and I play it back for them and I point out to them in slow motion on a big screen TV, where are you landing? They go, damn. I'm still landing on my heel. So they're thinking that the forefoot landing that they're doing is causing all this trouble for them. And lo and behold, they're still landing on their heel. But guess what they're doing now? They're landing on their heel in a shoe that has less protection than they used to have. <laughs> uh -huh. Right? So they're not even aware what the culprit is behind the problem. And we bring it to light. We show them what's going on. And we start making the corrections. So at the end of the day, the first thing you have to make sure that you're doing is employing the correct technique with the way you're transitioning. Because some people think they're transitioning, and in fact, they're not transitioning at all. There might be a little bit of an alteration to the way they're moving, but in fact, there's not that much difference between what they used to do and what they're doing now. Another thing that you can do that I found very effective, and by the way, I was one of those people. I transitioned too. I wasn't mm -hmm. like, I didn't wake up one morning you know, 65 years ago and start running off my forefoot and start preaching to people. I was a heel striker. I was, in my peak days of running, I would put in 70 miles of running a week, landing on my heels. And my break point, by the way, was probably 60 miles. <laughs> <laughs> 
because I would break down. And what I found intuitively and, and through trial and error was that because I'm a big guy, even in the best of days, I trained at about 190, 195 pounds running marathons, doing triathlons. At 190 pounds, my argument was I can't run day after day. I need a day off between my runs. I also concluded that I was too big to run downhill. So most of the hill work that I would do, I didn't do. I did all that work in the gym. I supplemented my, my hill work by doing a lots and lots of leg press and squats. Mm-hmm. I ran the Big Sur Marathon, which is nothing but hills. If anybody's run it, they know what I'm talking about. And in preparation for the Big Sur Marathon, I did not run a lick of heels. All of the training I did was on absolute flat ground. And two days a week, I was in the gym working the hell out of my legs. And I was getting 70 miles a week. And that's not even running every day. I, was, I think I was running probably four to five days max. And I was getting that much volume. Yeah. But still blew out my knee. And I blew out the last uh, marathon I did, I blew my knee out on Big Sur course after about mile 13. I went into the race having not run for two weeks prior to that race because I had issues with my knee. And I thought, well, I come this far, I'm going to do this race. I laid off of it for two weeks. It started to hurt the first step I took in the run. It had blown up to look like a grapefruit by the time I was uh, eight, nine miles in. Yeah. Every aid station I hit, I put a big cold sponge on it to try to cool the knee down. It was blown out. And, and the last six miles, I hopped to the finish line because I couldn't put any pressure down on my, my left leg. <laughs> and uh, I still ran pretty well. But I thought, at this point, if I stop, I'm going to the hospital. If I finish, I'm going to the hospital. I'm going to the hospital. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I might as well get this damn thing done, right? So I, might as well, I, yeah, might as well finish. That's exactly what I did. And they told me, well, you know, you got chronomalacia. Yeah, you, you know, you got arthritis in the knee and running's not for you. Can I tell you something? This was 1988. Yeah, I wasn't born yet. In, 19, <laughs> in 1988, they told me not to run anymore. Yeah. And I don't even know how many miles I've run since that conversation. But the biggest thing I did was transition to running off my forefoot. And I experienced a lot of stress in the calf and Achilles when I did that. My solution that worked pretty well for me was to use rock tape. I taped my calves. I got a technique I use that goes from the heel right up to the base of my calf. And uh, I would tape my calves before I ran. And that worked out fine. And if I didn't tape because I was in a hurry, I'd use compression sleeves on my on my calves. That was going to be my next question was compression socks or sleeves. Yeah, I, I think compression is a great way to go. If you're transitioning and you're finding any kind of soreness whatsoever, the, the quick fix to – and what the, the we talked about this before. The compression, what it's going to do is it's going to dampen the vibration. It's going to mitigate some of the potential tearing at the muscle and the connective tissue. It's going to give you probably about a 30% reduction in the potential injury to your calf and Achilles as you're making these transitions. But even still, it's not going to completely get you out of trouble. But little bits and things. So what you want to do is obviously you want to back off your volume. Whatever it is you've been doing, you want to basically cut it in half for a while. And some people look at this, oh, I can't. I got races coming up. There's no way. It used to be the case people would tell me that this isn't a good time for me to transition because I've got this, 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 and this race coming up. And I said, well, when are you ever going to figure out that it's a good idea to make this transition? Because to me, when you identify that you're doing something wrong, that's the time that you need to do something to correct it. Mm-hmm. Don't wait till you have a catastrophe and then be forced to try to make a change and be at a disadvantage because you're dealing with a catastrophic event. So I have a lot of people who will come to me, their knee is already trashed. Their hip, their back, their Achilles, they're already trashed because poor running mechanics led them to injury. And by the way, 
most of the injuries we see with people is because their running mechanics is off. They're doing things poorly. How frustrating do you think it might be to invest in making the transition, to invest in making the decision to, to change and find yourself injured in a different way? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that happens. And the reason it happens because they were drinking the Kool-Aid. Everything made sense to them. And it does make sense. But the problem is, is they were not really on script. They were not really doing the things they should have been doing to get them out of trouble. By the way, let me brag on a couple people. <laughs> you know, usually I don't like to use people's names, but, you know, Callie, I know you're listening. Callie's out on the East Coast. She's training for OCR. She's going to do the New Jersey Beast this weekend. I threw a pretty rough week at her last week. So here's the volume, right? On Saturday, I wanted to go out and run 20 miles. On Sunday, I wanted her to go out and run 20 miles with intervals to go harder. She ran 40 miles on Saturday and Sunday. She was nervous about it, right? If you could just see my face right now hearing that volume, I'm like, Ooh. 40 miles <laughs> in two days, back to back. One day off after that. She writes me on Monday. She goes, oh, wow, I can't believe it. That was awesome. She goes, I felt so good. It was great. I'm talking about she was just pumped up because the entire weekend went well. In her wildest dreams, she never expected that she would do two 20-milers back-to-back in training on the weekend and throw some gusto into it the second day and be fine. When I met Callie, she was having issues with her plantar fasciitis. She was wearing a very cushy-soled shoe. She was taped when I met her. We focused on changing her running mechanics, making sure she was running properly, got her out of those heavy-soled shoes, got her really hyper-focused on making sure she was running properly. Now she's able to kill it. She's out there killing it. I just got off the phone with a client. I'm going to bring his name up too, Daniel Zanoni. Been working with him, coaching him for the last uh, five, six months. He's doing Big Bear this uh, it's coming up. Big Bear, lots of climbing, lots of steep work. I had him do the same thing. He ran 20 miles hard. I looked at the elevation chart of his workout. He went out hard for 20 miles. And matter of fact, while I'm sitting here thinking about it, I wonder if I have it up. What uh, was his last name? Zanoni. Oh, so you can pronounce that, but you can't pronounce my last name. He's not Polish. <laughs> <laughs> it's different. It's different when they're not Polish. Okay, so let me just, I'm, I'm seriously pulling this up because I'm trying to make my point. I'm going into my Training Peaks account to pull up my client. you got to forgive me, dude, if I'm airing your laundry, but I'm proud of you. I told you that today, so we're going to take a look at it. Yeah, his, his spelling is Z-A-N-O-N-I. How do you screw oh. that up? All right, it's not well. got like 15 Zs and, you know. Okay, so listen to this, all right? This is Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and day off on Sunday. Thursday, we did motor skill development drills, which is basically interval repeats for 45 minutes. 20-mile run on Friday and a seven-mile run on Saturday with a negative split. So go out 40 minutes aerobic, 20 minutes anaerobic. So he, he punched it up. He pushed the pace hard. And then took one day off. And then on Monday, he did legs and hips, which my workout for legs and hips is heinous. It's a strength training workout, which is lunges, step-ups, reverse lunges, deadlifts, with max capacity, so the maximum amount of weight you can lift. And on Tuesday, which was yesterday, was Lung Buster, which is a it's 100-meter sprint into a hill, sprint up the hill, and recover, and do those repeats for 45 minutes. 
So we're looking at, we got 5, 25, 35, again, 40 miles in four days worth of running. And I just got off the phone with him a minute. By the way, tomorrow's 90 minutes worth of base running. So there's really no break yet. Actually, there's no break till Sunday. And he goes, you know what? I feel great. The difference is he learned how to run. When you run properly, all of these issues that you see people or, or hear people talk about fall away. And what I'm getting at is the investment to make the correct move, to get off this altered state of affairs that, that most people are running in, make the corrections to run properly, pays huge dividends, huge dividends. So when people are freaking out about this transition period, number one, if you stick to your guns and do the right thing, we're only talking about a couple weeks. You will adapt. You will get to a better place. You will be able to run if you behave yourself for the first couple weeks. While you're going through the soreness that is natural to have happen while you're making this transition, do the due diligence. Roll do some self-massage, take days off if necessary, rest, get barefoot on occasion to make sure that you're doing the right thing with the way you're running, allow the feet to engage the earth, tape if necessary, use compression if necessary, but by all means, do not rush the process and make sure that you're not pushing yourself beyond your limit. If you're finding soreness that is just not going away right away, odds are you're not running properly. Something you're doing is not correct. One of the things that I see a lot of people do is they're trying to run on their forefoot, but they're basically toe running. They're not even let their heel touch the ground. Mm, I do that. <laughs> oh, man. So if you're running on your toes and you're elevating your, 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 your heel never makes contact with the earth, you're just basically bouncing on that calf muscle and that Achilles. You're throwing your body up in the air. You're landing on your toe, and it's like a diving board. You're doing, doing, <laughs> doing. Your, your, your calf's just getting hammered, right? And you go, oh, I'm running on my forefoot like you told me, and all of a sudden I'm getting hurt. No, no, no. You're blowing it. And I see this happen often. So I'm starting to get excited, right? I know. Well, you always yell at me. You're like, make sure your heel's touching. <laughs> yeah. I'm just running on my yeah. tippy toes. <laughs> well, the, there, I'm telling you, there is a sequence of events that needs to have happen. You want to make contact with the earth on your forefoot. You want to let your heel settle to the earth. And when all this occurs, your foot should now be beneath your center of mass. And yeah. I'm, going to, I'm going to be careful to, to restate what I just said. When you make initial contact with the earth, your foot will be a little ahead of your center of mass. By the time your heel makes contact with the earth, you're, you're moving forward, correct? Mm -hmm. When your heel makes contact with the earth, your body is posted over that foot. And guess what you're now? You're stable. You want to get stable. You want to find stability as quickly as possible. That's a key, key influence that you're looking for in the way you're running. And when you do that and you get into a habit of doing that, you start training yourself. Jada Sherry is one of the most respected physical therapists in the country. He said it, actually I stole a lot of his stuff because I like what he says. He says it takes about 6,000 repetitions to make a new habit. Now that seems like a long time, but 6,000 repetitions, you're going to probably take 1,500 steps over the course of one mile. Mind you, it's 6,000 proper repetitions. So if you do 1,000 repetitions correctly and 5,000 repetitions incorrectly, you've pretty well erased the 1,000 yeah. repetitions. You know what I mean? So it's like <laughs> yeah. this tug of war. You've got to get into a consistent rhythm of doing the right thing. And through that course of action, you'll start to develop a new habit. And this new habit will take you to the promised land. It just happens. And so, I don't know. I mean, I don't know whether I gave a nice lineup of tips, but I think the first thing that people need to realize when they're going through this frustration with this transition period is, number one, make sure that what you are doing or what you're aspiring to do is correct. 
because the principal reason why most people are continuing to have this pain is because they're not running properly. They're making a mistake. And that's what we have to watch out first. Because when you transition properly, the timeline is not that great. It doesn't take six months to retrain the connective tissue and get the muscles and the, the ligaments to, to heave too. It just doesn't take that long unless you're making mistakes with the way you're moving. And gaining some forgiveness from your mistakes can come from taping strategies, can come from using compression, can come from backing the volume down and working on some myofascial release and self-massage and all these different modalities that you can employ. But at the end of the day, just make sure you're doing it right. Because the other end of it is a lot of people are getting little bits of information from social media. They read a book. They, they looked at something online. They saw a video. And in their mind's eye, they think that they got it and they're going out there to do it. Odds are that they're still not quite where they need to be, which, by the way, is where we have so much success with the clinics we do because I'm physically involved with the people. I give them the cues they need to understand what kind of changes need to be employed and when and how, and I teach them. And so that's a grave advantage over just kind of trying to wing it yourself and figure it out. Or, you know, you got your friend that's supposedly a trainer, you know, or he's, you know, a seasoned runner, run as I do, be as I am, got that, that what they call the study of one mentality. Don't trust that, man. It's, it's too important. And, and, you know, the biggest thing I hear from people is I want to be able to run when I'm old. I want to be able to run when I'm your age, Richard. And I'm like, oh, well, forget that. That ain't going to work. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not running very well these days. Yeah. But, but at the end of the day, they want longevity. They want to be able to continue to enjoy sport. They want to have a healthy lifestyle. And they find that the running is a principal path to enjoying this lifestyle and to having the fun and doing what they're doing. And there's nothing worse than, well, you know, like, who am I, I'm singing to the choir now. You know how sucky it is when you're trying to do something you can't, right? Yep. Yes, I do know that. <laughs> so tell me, what, what have I not said that I should have said? Or what light should I have shined that I hadn't shined? Um, well, I mean, if you want, you can just kind of quickly summarize pretty much what you're getting at, like what you would suggest, like what's the, the biggest thing that you would suggest for someone that is transitioning, like the key thing. All right. Thank you. I need to be reined in on occasion because I go a little crazy. <laughs> Number one, you need to realize this is coming from me and I promise you in everything that I am. And everything that I've learned in all the years I've been doing it, I promise you, there's good call to transition to your forefoot. I don't care how long you've been running. You could have been running for the past 30 years pain-free, and I promise you that even still, if you transition to proper running mechanics, that you'll become a better runner. There's absolutely strong conviction in my heart for the need to make this transition if you're not already running properly. There are those that get away with murder because the strength to weight ratio is such that they've just been able to get away with it. Even still, these runners would be better runners if they made a transition to proper running mechanics. I'm not gonna go down that path with all the details of why, but from a standpoint of safety, stability, and longevity in your running career, you, you should transition to a four-foot running pattern. Okay, now that we made that decision, the first thing you need to do is make sure that what you're trying to do, you're doing correctly. That's important because a little bit of volume doing things wrong is still going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. Not to mention what's going to happen if you put a lot of volume into it. So you want to be sure that you back off the volume regardless of how well you're getting this done. You want to take care of yourself while you're running. You want to make sure that if you're getting some soreness, which is normal because you're, you're start, starting to work muscle you weren't working before, 
that you take care of it. And you take care of it by, as I suggested earlier, you might want to employ some compression wear. Uh, quite frankly, I like the compression socks better than I do the sleeves. The sleeves are easier to get on and off. Mm -hmm. Just make sure you take them off after you run and don't leave them on all day. You know, don't go like to Lululemon wearing your compression or whatever. <laughs> trying to look like you're the guy or girl. I'm very much a fan of rock tape. And using kinesiology tape is definitely a godsend when you're having issues with uh, plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis, calf strain, these kind of things. It really will dampen a lot of the problems. It'll help provide kinesthetic awareness. It'll help to mitigate inflammation. It's a really good, easy thing to do. Rolling, self-massage, all these little modalities you could do to try to take care of the soreness is definitely in play. If you find that the soreness just doesn't want to go away and it's starting to get worse, what's going on, Zoe? You're not doing something right. Absolutely. Just logically, you should understand that it's not the process that's letting you down. It's your approach to the process that's letting you down. We are designed to run barefoot. I've never met anybody that I couldn't take their shoes off and let them run across grass and they weren't able to do it. And then they want to argue about what difference in the drop they should go into. I'm not a fan of like trying to step it down from 14 to 12 to 11 to 10 to 9 and so on and so forth. We want to get to zero drop and we want to make sure we're running properly. If you get to zero drop and, you, and you're getting into a lot of pain, odds are you're just not doing it right. Now, in some cases, there are people that have very, very tight and uh, calf and Achilles. And in their case, maybe they need a little bit of a heel. I have no issue with that whatsoever. Because we want to keep you from harm as best we can. But there's no real good argument for a heel under the shoe other than if you just have an abnormally tight calf and Achilles. And okay. we're getting long into the show, but I have to share this story with you because I think you'll find it fascinating. I was uh, at a, a dinner function and, you know, people ask you what you do. And I was telling the guy what I do. Turns out the guy I'm talking to is a podiatrist. <laughs> and he shares with me this surgical procedure he uses for issues with really, really tight calf and Achilles. And as a matter of fact, he invites me to sit in on one of the surgical procedures. So... This was kind of interesting. I actually got nervous, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so like I'm, I'm, I'm donning the garb, right? I'm going in. I look like a, like a, you know, I got the mask and the the bonnet and, you know, the scrubs and the whole thing, and I go into this operating room with this doctor, and I watch his nurses prep this guy's legs. The guy's out cold, right? They got him on, under anesthesia, and the guy proceeds to create an incision in the belly of this guy's calf and opens it up to the fascia and splits the, the fascia laterally. He puts a, a one-inch incision in the back of this guy's Achilles and then sews the skin back up and we're done. So his hope was that he put the guy in a boot for six, eight weeks. His hope was that because he opened up the fascia that he encouraged this guy's uh, Achilles to allow him to drop his heel to the ground. And then after the guy heals on that side, he's bringing the guy back in to do the other calf. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at this like, okay, the guy's a doctor. He knows what he's doing. He sends me a patient of his sometime later who had gone through this procedure and is having all sorts of issues. And honestly, it should have been a malpractice suit because... That whole procedure was, it was just a heinous thing to do to an individual. And, you know, we don't know. The doctor tells us to do it must be the thing to do. It was terrible. Anyway, I got, I'm sorry, I got on a rant. But what what do you think? Did we, we nail this? Did we let people know what they need to know? I'm still just imagining having someone slice my calf right now. <laughs> like, that's where my head's at. The calf was Achilles. I mean, the calf the Achilles. Achilles. It was healthy. That's what I meant. I know, but I, I'm yeah. just imagining that right now. That just sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. 
Talk about giving up on somebody. You're too, you're too stupid to learn to improve this facial lengthening and, and you know, whatever. But I mean, I, I just, anyway, long story short, transitioning, it's really pretty much what you make it. If, you, uh, if you're doing the wrong things, it, it's not going to go well. I used to tell people it's, it's like the devil you know versus the devil you don't. If you've been running well, on your heels, no injury, and then I come along and try to convince you that that's not the way to do it, and then all of a sudden you start finding these new pains that you never experienced before, you're going back to the devil you know. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. I really do. Was it the thing you should have done? No. Maybe I let you down. I didn't really get across to you what you needed to know and how to do it. But It's just one of those other things, too, where you just got to sometimes just got to trust the process. You have to. It's mm -hmm. either making sense to you or it doesn't. What's unfortunate is the people that drink the Kool-Aid, they believe it's true and they do things wrong and they just assume that they're not the person for this type of running. And they just never got it right. By the way, this is why I encourage people, if they have the opportunity, to attend multiple clinics that I put on. And as a matter of fact, locally, I even give my, I call them alumni, I give them a discount to come back simply because I'm encouraging them to come and just make sure that they get it. And yeah. I have clients I work with. Um, well, I was at the track yesterday, Tuesday morning. Every Tuesday morning, I'm at the track. And my clients that are with me once a week run like deers. We never even have this conversation about running mechanics anymore. We don't even talk about that anymore. We're just doing work because they, the, they got the wiring done. They're just, they're just doing the work now. And they're killing it. They're running well. Everything is going well. Nobody's getting hurt. It's, it's a beautiful thing. So I would be remiss if I didn't at least take a second to promote the clinics coming up. I am heading to Chicago, and we have a little bit of room, but not much. Anybody listening to this, the time is now. If you don't get registered with me within the next few days, that ship has sailed. Then we're putting on a clinic here in Camarillo, in the secret lab. Home turf, June 2nd and 3rd. If you're in California or anywhere nearby and you're motivated to do this, this is a great opportunity because it never gets better than what we do here locally. Then we're going to be at Bone Frog. Very, very cool experience because we're going to do a run clinic the day before the Bone Frog event in New Jersey on the course. We're actually going to test market the course. We're going to look at race strategy, help people run properly. And I promise you the folks that do my clinic on Friday are going to kill the race on Saturday. And then we're going to be in Killington, which by the way, I think is sold out. Anybody looking at this, if you haven't pulled the trigger on it, it's probably too late. Unless you're just doing day two. Testing is sold out. And then we're going to be in Atlanta. Did I skip anything? No. We're going to be in Atlanta in November. And then finally, we're going to be in Austin, Texas in December. And that's it for the year. If you're looking to figure it out, go to naturalrunningcoach.net. The information is there. If you decide to register for any of these events, don't be concerned if it doesn't say you have just registered for Killington or whatever. Just register. We'll email you and we'll figure out where it is that you wanted to go and we'll take care of you. <laughs> That's a busy year for you. It's a busy year, and but it's awesome. So, you know, we've helped a lot of people over the years. Lots and lots of people. And I've been loving to see my shirts out around the, the country, right? People are doing <laughs> the new pose where they're like, thumbs are pointing at their back and the back of the shirt says, you can't win if you run like shit. I still have yet to get my shirt from you. You have yet to bring your butt over here to get it. Hey, you know, I got that injured hip problem, you know. <laughs> you know, can, can we... Uh, wait a minute. There's a violin in here somewhere, right? Hey, hey, hey. I'm just taking care of it. But um, speaking of races and whatnot, are you going to be at Stadium this yes. weekend? Yes, I will be. Are you going? I'm not going. You're not allowed to go on... Uh, 
No, I'm allowed to go. I have decided to fly home and see my family instead. So, <laughs> well, I'm going. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm going to go and watch VJ scorch that course. That is, I'm actually really eager to see how VJ does. I'm sure he's going to do really well. He's looking good. He's in a good place right now. We had a great training on Tuesday, and I expect he's going to do very well. He will be on that podium. The question is whether he's going to be at the top of the podium. But I would give him better than a 60% shot that he'll he'll win that race. Yeah, I'm excited to see. So if anyone sees Rich this weekend, make sure to give him a hello, and then I'll be out at the um, Central Texas Tough Mudder next weekend. So if you see me, say hi. Very cool. All right, let's shut it down. This has been a long one. It is, but it was a good one. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. I'll talk to you soon. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.